in light of Labour going for the jugular with their recent campaign against the Tories, we discuss whether being nice will always win you through. <laughs> This is 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kaya. We hope you're sitting comfortably because this is about to get uncomfortable. 
Easter. Easter half term. How was it? It was very good. It was very good. The se first week I was working. Yeah. Second week I was off. The whole week? Yeah, I was off the whole week. You had yeah. an out of office on your uh, I had an out of office, yeah. Email. Which gave me hives. No, no, genuinely, I, I really took time out and it was great. I had to do a couple of bits. Uh, that's always pretty normal for me, but I'm surprised at how little I did and how comfortable I was with it. But I filled my time with other stuff and I think that's what makes a difference. If you don't fill your time, if you're not doing stuff, then yeah, then your mind wanders, doesn't it? What's the best thing you did? Watched Dungeons and Dragons with the two kids. What did you think of that film? Yeah, 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 I, I enjoyed it. I did, I mean, it's not my kind of, I'm not a big fantasy film geek yeah not my kind of cup of tea so i thought it was going to be worse than it was but it was, it was fun. right wasn't it yeah, hugh grant's all right in it isn't he he is good yeah he's good i went to watch it just me and leah why are you looking at me that like <laughs> no I, I knew that so, oh. so i had to react for a second time <laughs> <laughs> talking of second reactions right this is completely off the topic for a second i saw a video of a dude on tiktok He's like got a small following and stuff and the video hadn't been viewed that much, but he did uh, uh, what the title of it or something was like, when you have to come with the same energy on a WhatsApp voice note for the second time. <laughs> yeah. And the video is him going, yeah, mate. Oh, that's so funny. Did you, um, uh, and then he goes, oh, Oh, yeah, mate. So he has to bring the same energy. So many times. I've done this so many times, man. <laughs> Wait, yeah, it's good. Anyway. Is the second time round always better? Uh, I don't know, man, but like... It's sharper, it's clean. I've probably, like, I've literally had to redo like a minute and a half of a voice note before. What is that? It's something to do with the recording function on WhatsApp, isn't it? Because it definitely just disappears sometimes. You're in the middle of it and it's like, oh, it's gone. Yeah, or if somebody like rings you and it... It messes it up, doesn't it? If you're halfway through I don't get it. rung very often anymore, so. <laughs> Do people still phone you? I don't let them, mate. It's all turned off on my phone. Well, no one's allowed to ring you. Well, you know that. How often oh, do yeah. you go straight to Never get phone? through. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, not many people. Like, it's... it's the set, it, Nobody rings anybody anymore. If somebody rings you, it's a bit like, fucking hell, what's, what's going on? Why is somebody ringing me? Um, and it's the same with the door, isn't it? If there's a knock at the door and you haven't ordered a parcel, you're like, what the f who's at the door? Yeah, 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 true. Because I still like to just ring up people, but I feel really awkward about it. I feel like I'm intruding. Whereas, like, would you ever ring anybody out of the blue, f f f like from a work no perspective? Oh, no, from a, a work, yeah. And I think I've annoyed people. Oh, you you'd it. fucking annoy me, man. I hate I'm, when I'm some, usually ringing I'm like, you, you to, to help you. You need to go. <laughs> no, I hate it when somebody, I'm like, you need to book this shit, mate. <laughs> There's no spontaneity anymore, man. No, there isn't, man. And I like it that way. I don't want your spontaneity. I like being spontaneous. In when, an organized way. When, yeah. Or if the spontaneity comes from me. Don't bring me your spontaneity. I don't want it. You mean spontaneity? <laughs> You can have your spontaneity. <laughs> That's a special joke. <laughs> All right. Um, so you went to see Dungeons and Dragons. That was good. Yeah. Do you know, I, I don't, I think it was, I think the best thing was just being with the family. You know, yeah. like I know that feels a bit. Um, Wanky. <laughs> vanilla. <laughs> um, but it was just, it was, it was a 
culmination of little moments. So took my youngest, she went for a horse riding lesson because she loves that. Uh, you know, we took them to the Ninja UK thing that both of, I, both of us did at different times, right? Uh, you actually went to the Ninja Warrior one? No, not that one, yeah. It was like similar sort of. Yeah. yeah. The one I went to weren't very good, mate. Oh, okay. I couldn't do none of it. Oh, I didn't do it. I just watched them do it. Yeah, no, but was there the adult bits there? No. I got up the wall. Uh, I got up the wall. You know the wall at the end where yeah. you got to like, I got up it. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Even with your toes missing? <laughs> How'd you grip? I asked the dude there, how do you do it? And he said, when it, it you know, it curves at the bottom. He said, when it goes straight, if you keep running, you're going to run away from the wall. Right. So he said, run to the top of the curve and then and jump. Then jump. Oh. Did it first time, mate. Oh. Brilliant. The kids were well. There's one impressed. in Eastbourne, which is not far from Brighton. I feel like yeah, I didn't think it was very good, man. The kids thought it was all right, but we won't be going back. Yeah, okay. Failures. Give me a failure from half term, mate. Um, I, uh, I don't think there was much of. I mean, I would say that I probably dipped into a little bit of work when I didn't, when I really had intentions not to. That would probably be the biggest, but yeah, that's it really. You haven't, you haven't fucking done your homework, have you? I have. <laughs> what homework? <laughs> I, I had sudden fear from like my. <laughs> I sent my you this shit to go through, so you had answers for everything that I asked you. I have an answer. The big three questions that I'm about to ask you. Have you done homework on them? What the ones that you sent me two minutes ago? No, I sent you them about an hour ago. seven o'clock yeah, this morning. It's not I an have. hour ago, is it? It's ten past ten. I have three hours ago. So, <laughs> what, you think I'm just waiting around for your questions? Yeah. No. Yeah, you are. No, I've done a bit of work. Um, I had a good half term. Are you going to ask me or not? <laughs> you haven't given me a chance to like get in and ask. How was your half term? <laughs> uh, like you, I worked for the first week, but then the second week was back. My kids got into ice skating. Oh, okay. Have you done that? Did you go ice skating? You got an ice skating rink? We do. In Brighton? Uh, no, actually, it only comes around at Christmas time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's one up the road. So the kids did that. Um, do they enjoy it? Yeah, man. Do you? Well, I skated. Yeah. I used to love it when I was younger. I did inline skating, innit? <laughs> I can just... Did you have sequins? Well, no, no, no. I was like a... I, I was like a proper baggy jeans, inline skates. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Not ice skating. Got you. No, and then I got into ice skating as well because I was so good at inline skating. Sequins? <laughs> <laughs> we used to go to skate parks and that. Okay. And then... Can you board? Can I board? What do you mean skateboard? Can you skateboard? <laughs> no, but this is where I was going to go with it. So when I was like 12, 13, yeah, inline skating was the cool thing. You'd only have two wheels on your inline skates. You'd take the middle two out so that you can grind. Mm. Yeah. I got a big scar on my hand from making soap wax as well, yeah, for the curbs, yeah, so that you could grind properly on the curbs and the poles. Oh, so you were pretty into it. Yeah, I was into it. But then it became cool, because then I became a skater dude, because I was into, like, punk music and stuff like that. Um, but I could never skateboard, man. Yeah? Yeah, but I bought one and used to carry it around with me. Did, did you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I could, did you get into skateboarding? Uh, very briefly. I didn't go very far. Like I was only allowed to go up and down my road when I was a kid. <laughs> and then I just sort of lost interest in it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I used to carry a skateboard around. We used to go to skate parks and that, mate. Do you remember how big Tony Hawk's was? Yeah. Did you 
watched the podcast with of him on Stephen Bartlett. No, I've seen the advert of yeah, him. Yeah. Have you listened to it then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. I mean, I think what's really interesting about Tony Hawk and kind of what he represents to be at the top of your game, you just got to love it and love it and love it and just it's got to be your life yeah. and so there's this notion that you know to be an expert in anything you've got to put 10,000 hours of practicing I would say he's done you know 10 times that you know what I mean like he's he is he was the epitome of like like pure bread you know like in terms of pure thoroughbred in terms of like what he did and um yeah I just I find him I find him really really interesting and then like how he just how he, he just blew up and the whole world kind of just kind of blew up around him because he his name got people into skateboarding you know what i mean like that that weren't oh he it. was huge man and he was the like game worth over a billion the game in it you know yeah and he the game was massive yeah everyone used to play yeah. like i would play it till i fell asleep i'd wake up in the morning and tony hawk would just be skating yeah, yeah, into yeah, the yeah. wall yeah, yeah. i'd fallen asleep yeah, playing yeah, it yeah, yeah. and the music on there was banging yeah, it mate was very good yeah and the graphics were like so advanced when they came out weren't they they were like the the movement and stuff like that that's good. That's so big, man. That's memories, mm. man. How did we get here? Tony, oh, you <laughs> asked me if I week. skateboard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So no, it was good. And then back, like, back to it this week. It's quite hard to get back into in, into it on Monday, mate, because I was so switched off. I'll tell you something that really did. We don't do reasons to be cheerful anymore, but my daughter, you know, my daughter. Because there got, are no reasons to be cheerful. Because <laughs> the world is bad, man. Uh, my daughter's, um, you know, my daughter got into ladies football. Did I tell you that? She started playing yeah, for yeah, a girls yeah. football yeah, team. Yeah, and, that. Yeah. Um, and next season, they want her playing at under nines and she should be under seven. So she's going to be playing two years up. Wow. She's very good at football, so how, mate. How many? How, she's six. So how, like, how many kids are into football now? Well, of my kids, yeah. all of them are... Well, no, the two boys. Yeah. And then my one of my youngest daughters, yeah. Wow. <clears throat> and she sits and watches it more than the boys. The games? She'll, yeah, she'll sit and watch... Um, the football on the telly and talk about the game and everything. She's only six, mate. She's gonna be the next big thing, I reckon. That's my that's my ticket that's out. Of here. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. live my. I'm gonna be one of them. You're parents. gonna fade. She's oh, wise. she played right on Sunday, and uh, the guy who like volunteers as the coach for the for a girls team, yeah, uh, like like I say, it's under eights this season that she's playing at under eights girls team he's refing has to call whether it's corner throw in all himself as well as manage the team right he got one of he got a corner drastically it was drastically wrong right it was it should have been a corner and he gave a goal kick to our team yeah yeah there's this bloke on the sideline shouting you cheat you just like oh my days man like kids football at that age and you're calling a bloke who's volunteering a cheat I had it out with him, didn't I? Did you? Yeah. Uh, do you know what happened to your body language? You kind of, it's almost as though you I was went so back to that place where you were. I was so angry. I said to Leo, I might have to go home. Because he's going, shut up. I never said cheat. And I was like, you called him a cheat. I was like, be upset. It was a corner or whatever. But don't call the man a cheat. I was like, you can go and ref the so game if you want. You fed the fire. Yeah, I did, mate. It caused a bit of, uh, <laughs> bit of a ding dong. <laughs> I saw it on social media too dads arguing <laughs> at kids I reckon football he was game. a granddad. Uh, bit like you. <laughs> anyway. Yes. I'm going to read you these uh, these questions now. 
I've got three questions for you, Has. Okay. I'm going to come at you with the first one. Okay. Uh, we will both answer the question. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll do each question each. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. The first question. What's one thing about your job or field? And your job or field is a founder, CEO mainly. That's what I want to okay. cover from you. Yeah. yeah. So what's one thing about your job or field of expertise that almost no one agrees with you about? Um... And I'm going to have a smint while you think about it. Yeah, okay. So wh when you say almost no one, do you mean other founders or do you mean just general society? Uh, either or. Okay. I think that um, in as a founder, as an entrepreneur, someone who's building a business and trying to kind of scale a business. So scaling often means that you've got fewer resources and you've got lots of work, right? And I think the current sort of uh, cultural um, reflections about work and burnout are that actually um, hard work is, uh, is kind of, hard work is, uh, Stigmatized. Stigmatized. It's not fashionable. And yeah. actually, to build stuff, you have to work hard. That means evenings sometimes. That means weekends sometimes. And I appreciate that uh, for me, it's going to be quite natural because I'm trying to build it and I'm trying to create something. But I think people that join um, a, you know, a, a fast growth business yeah. need to understand that that's part of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's very fashionable. And I think. Um, it's a hard one because I also believe that people need to create boundaries for themselves. Yeah. But I also need balance as a founder. Yeah. It's quite a new phenomenon, this kickback against hard work, isn't it? Newish, yeah. Do you like think, because years. you had like the, you know when uh, your man, uh, Gary V got massive? Yeah. And it was all like hustle, grind, work when people are asleep and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That got massive and big. And then I feel I feel like this pendulum swung right the other way now, and everyone's like, you shouldn't be working hard like at all or remotely. It's like as if you're going to be able to grow anything of any meaning, but do it meditating four hours every single day still, and not you know never getting into your red zone. Yeah, I, I, I look. I think we're we're being kind of extreme in our in our kind of portrayals of this, right? But I, so I don't even mean that you know that you're burning yourself out. I'm just talking about that little point where you get past the comfort zone, and actually got to go into this place where you got to go slightly into the red zone, right? Yeah. Consistently showing up in that way means that there's something wrong with the organization, right? If if actually you're working really hard, but not getting results and actually people are having to work hard, then there's something wrong with me. I get that. But actually yeah. if it's all in pursuit of trying to create abundance for us all, we've all got a part to play in it. And it is different to working in a, you know, a big enterprise where there's a lot more infrastructure, right? So if you choose it, if you opt into that, then understand that that's going to be the case. I think there's a generational thing there as well, right? Because when I look at the resilience work that I do, yeah, and this is a realization, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but this is a realization I've had literally in recent months. I would always deliver resilience training 
from the perspective of you, you're overworking yourself and you need to come back a bit more central and know that you need a bit of break and like you need to give yourself a little bit of space and resilience doesn't mean you keep moving forward no matter what. You, you have to take your foot off the gas, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But what I've realized is that there's a shift and the next, like the younger generation that are coming into work today differ in that the, the old, the previous generation, a generation that I would probably put myself in, so my sort of age and maybe above and maybe even a little bit younger than me, would tend, to, a natural state is to overwork. But I feel like the new generation that I work with, um, their natural state feels a little bit more like they actually need to develop a bit more of the toughness and bring in a bit more overworking, like work into their red zone a bit more. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Ne neither's wrong or right, by yeah. the way. Neither's right or wrong. And like the, I, the sweet spot for resilience is where your toughness meets your ability to be able to recover. I think there's a there's a, a layer of complexity that we should bring in here, which is, you know, the generation that we uh, kind of touched the fringes of and that preceded us, right, was very capitalist driven, like it was um, focused on kind of, um, you know, job for life or, you know, jobs and yeah, you've yeah. got to kind of work to this system that you didn't really have a choice in. I think what I'm sensing is that people feel like, well, it's much harder in life now than it was then in terms of our ability to create wealth, to create abundance, to create opportunities to get on the housing ladder and stuff like that. So it almost feels like people are um, owning their own boundaries a bit more. But I do think that in doing that, it's exactly what you're saying is that I think it, it's because there's a bubble that's being created that allows, that stops you from going into that zone. And um, because you're trying to protect yourself. And I think the issue is once you get into a kind of a different phase of life, you're not protected. Like, and so all of this stuff, when you've got a, you know, when you've got to kind of um, accumulate or you've got to, you know, um, have other, care for other dependents or get yourself on the ladder, it's just, it's, it's very, very difficult, you know, to continue to operate in that way, thinking that the world is continually like, gonna keep you in a bubble. Yeah, 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 yeah. And th that's that, that's the transition that becomes difficult, right? Is how do you make sure that people are developing? Because life is hard, life is tough, yeah? And I think it's unrealistic to teach people that it's not. Yeah. When the world is tough, do you know what I mean? And I yeah. think that's probably a conversation for a whole nother podcast, but, um, but I do think there's something around that and I really notice it, right? And I'm speaking to a lot of like, genuinely speak to a lot of founders or even high achievers who, and this won't be fashionable to say, who feel like there's a lot of people around at the moment that are not willing to do the hard work. Yeah. And I do think the mental health conversation, the one that I'm, in, you know, that I'm involved in and that I'm part of, I do think that that, if we're not careful, because when you shape every difficult emotion as, a, as struggling mental health, right? Then the moment you start to feel a bit of stress, you know, when I think of all the good things that I've built in, my career and the things that I'm trying to do, I built them under stress. I took the stress and I was like, fucking, I need to do something positive with this, yeah? But if I shape every time I have a difficult emotion or feeling as struggling mental health, yeah, then then you create a problem. Yeah. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I also, and it's a very nuanced conversation. I also am very aware that myself and a lot of other founders, I'm building my dream. Yeah. So of course I'm going to have a different point of view on it. Um, I, you know, 
I imagine, you know, so, so we don't just sound like two old farts who are overgeneralizing about uh, a different generation. Although we do a lot of work in this space and we see it, I think there's also um, some truth that if, you know, individuals who are building to their own dream, they have a different uh, kind of approach to it, you know. Um, but a lot of the people that I, maybe we're talking about are ones that have just taken jobs, right, um, in someone else's dream. So it's about how do you kind of bring people and get them more connected to the purpose of what you're trying to build so that everyone feels like they have a part to play in it and there's kind of benefit to operating differently. I think that's the that's the key thing is not about like chastising, but saying, okay, if you're here, how do we make it so that actually you feel like you want to do what, you know, everything you can. Yeah. And that isn't, by the way, just about working hours. It's about, sometimes it's about attitude, sometimes it's about energy, it's about kind of uh, output, commitment, whatever it is. Sometimes just like, just showing up in the right way. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah, really good point. What about you? Uh, I, okay, so mine's, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I am conscious of time. But my mine is that, uh, is about addiction really. And like in the space that I operate in, call it the mental health space or what the healing space or whatever, addiction is still always seen as this kind of individualistic thing that happens. Like you either get addicted to alcohol or you get addicted. My belief is that we are all addicts. Everybody struggles with addiction of some kind. And the people that think they are addiction free just don't recognize the things that they're using in order to be able to escape the ways that they feel. Yeah. And it kind of feeds into what, we, what we're just talking about, you know, like um, there's that whole like, am I addicted to my work? Am I like the quote unquote workaholic or am I just following my passion? And actually I think the truth is that for a lot of us, we're, we're a mix of all of that, yeah? yeah? But like, if you look at like um, a successful sports person, yeah? Like the likelihood is, is that they've given up a hell of a lot in their life to be able to pursue that thing, that that thing that they're doing, yeah? And they've had to do it. Like, you started off by saying, you almost have to be obsessed with what, we, we talked about Tony Hawk, yeah? Yeah. You, like, you have to be obsessed with what you're doing. I'm obsessed with what I do. I'm obsessed with it in a sometimes unhealthy way. Are you obsessed with the doing or the results? Both. Both. Is one a means to an end? Uh, I think I'm probably, I think I'm probably more obsessed with the doing. Liar. What do you, what do you mean? Well, sorry, I don't mean to call you out, but we, we, we were having a conversation about what drives you. So like, and you say, you said to me last week, um, I, I, I hit this target and then as soon as I've done it, I'm like, that's not good enough, I wanna hit the next one. Yeah, but what drives that? What drives that? I need to find a fucking something else. Otherwise I'm just stuck here in this place with myself. Not the results, it's not the results. Uh, maybe I create the results because, I'm, because, I, because I need something to do. Yeah. But this is what I'm talking about when it comes to addiction. Yeah. Like, the truth is probably that it's a mixture of all of them. Yeah, like, like everything is. But, but um, let me, let me, let me, uh, hone in a little bit more, magnify it. When on half term, like we just talked about, yeah? When I get my work emails out or I start doing something work related during half term, when I felt like I didn't want to do it, it ain't because I'm fucking worried about results. Yeah. 
it's because something ain't quite right yeah. and I need to find I need to find something to do so I don't have to be in myself. Yeah. I when I look at inner you, yeah, was was I driven to build inner you solely by wanting to help everybody in the world and like change people's lives? That was part of it. But it'd be the egotistical of me to pretend that I was driven solely by that. Yeah. I was also driven by a fucking need to do something and not be who I am in that moment. Yeah. And I think that's the bit that gets missed because we all we all like to portray the nicest version of ourselves. Yeah. Something that just popped into my head is I'm addicted to email. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when you asked me what did I fail at, it wasn't that I did a bit of work. I fed my addiction to email. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And people do that all of the time. And then this is what happens. And this is why, um, you know, when I look at conversations, particularly on LinkedIn, by the way, for example, that are like um, slagging company cultures off left, right and center, you know, you're making people always be on. I'm like, sometimes, because I'll go in organizations, right? And you'll have one person who says, I feel like I always have to be on here. Yeah, someone else from the same organization doing the same role or go, no, 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 I'm, I'm, when it gets to eight o'clock, I turn my emails off and nobody can get hold of me. So, so is it culture? Yeah, or is it, is there some power within each and every single individual? And again, like everything, it's always a combination of the, the things, yeah? Mm. But how can two people in the same organization have different, different experiences? We could dig into that, right? And we haven't got time to do it now. But what we have to also, so yes is the answer. So I agree with you, what you're saying, yeah? It is, it is both. It's about um, self-accountability, empowerment, agency at an individual level, but it is also about culture as well. And, and we also need to think about intersectionalism as well. So what we don't know is the circumstances around those two people. So one could be a single black, uh, a single parent black mother, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, who is potentially, not to kind of, cast stereotypes, but who's potentially worried about the job. So the feeling of needing to be always on might be different to somebody who's actually, um, you know, married, comfortable, two, two earners in the house. So actually there's sort of, there's another layer to it that we shouldn't yeah, not explore. And you know what's, what's interesting as well is uh, my opinion on it when I was first starting out and money was hard to come by, mm -hmm. would have been completely different to what it is now. Yep. Yeah. Same. However, However, or not however, and at the core of that, yeah, what we are talking about here is, so so the example that you gave, which was one single parent or whatever that's struggling for money and stuff like that, yeah, um, and then you take another person who's in a position of much more privilege, right? Still at the core of what we're talking about it there is uh, that fundamental need to do something. Now, the, the first example is driven by what I would call collective, perhaps generational trauma. Hmm. Yeah. Which is why healing should always be collective. Cause, cause in the end, when you trace everyone's trauma back, yeah, trace it far enough. And what you'll find is, is it's societal uh, group kind of uh, community trauma. Yeah. If I trace mine back, yeah, my trauma at the expense of my dad's drinking, my dad, when he was younger, was fostered at a very young age, yeah, his parents then were trapped in a dick and all that they weren't supported in the way that they were. So it's always a mixture of individual uh, empowerment 
alongside collective and community empowerment. Yeah. And this is why, by the way, uh, you'll get spiritual gurus online who will talk about the only person who um, can change your situation is you. Yeah. The, like the only person, you know, uh, 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 you're in a victim mentality. And it's way more complex than that. And they'll, these spiritual gurus will say, concentrate on yourself. You should, you know, you, healing is about changing yourself and what you do for you. That's all you can do. And I'm like, actually, that's closer to fucking narcissism than it is healing. Yeah. Because once you start to heal, you, you, I think you should, you should start to be compelled to look at the structures and everything that goes with it in the way that you said. 100%. There, um, for people that do work in the inclusion space, it's, you know, people first used to talk about diversity. Then they started talking about diversity, equity and inclusion. And now they talk about belonging. And that's really, really important because you shouldn't, it shouldn't be up to that individual person to have to make the changes alone and get agency themselves. The environment around them should also uh, make them feel like they belong, right? And actually, so, so it isn't then just about, you know, the individual's efforts. There is always some level of control that we need to keep within ourselves around what we do, what we don't do, what we can and what we can't do. But also, if you're basically trying to push water uphill, you're going to struggle, right? So actually mm -hmm. having the environment around you create conditions to make whatever changes or whatever boundaries you want to set work for you and work for everyone. That's the key. Yeah, and that's why equity, that's what equity is going to look like in a culture for the two examples that you gave, is how do you make both of those people feel safe? Yeah. In that environment, how do you make them feel safe to not have to open the, e the emails? Yeah. Fucking yeah. Very good. Right, I'm going to do one more of these questions okay. before we move on. One more of the three. Um, okay, let's just go to this one. What's one lesson your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Give away more stuff for free than you expect to receive. So my philosophy has always been be generous, pay it forward, don't expect anything in return, and you just get surprised by the results. Not only is it, look, it's not totally altruistic. I feel good. I feel good sharing. I feel good seeing other people um, benefit from kind of my experience and kind of what I know. And then it, it makes me feel good seeing them grow. But the most joy I get is actually when somebody um, just gets value and 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 they're in a often they're in a vulnerable place. They might have just left their job or they're about to leave their job or or change their economic circumstance or that's happened to them. And actually just giving them a bit of something for free um, when they don't expect it. Because I obviously, as you know, I charge a lot for this stuff as well to, you know, to other parts of um, uh, my network. So to be able to do that um, is uh, it's a really important thing, but the benefit is that you create these um, you create these really wonderful ripple effects, right? Because then you that person goes out and does brilliant stuff, and hopefully they then also do a similar thing. So I think give away more for free um, than you might expect to. Yeah, and you you live that as well, don't you? Probably to your detriment sometimes. Do you know what I mean? You you actually do live that. Do you think there's some sort of like uh, universal thing that happens you know people say it's the universe or something that's a power greater than you you know like 
karma. Some people talk about karma. Do you believe in that stuff? I you know, like, like, because sometimes I will have a literal feeling where I'm like, I'm going to fucking give some stuff away. Yeah. Just knowing that if I do that, the world or the universe or whatever it is will give me back more. Yeah, I do. I do genuinely believe that. And I think the fact that um, my business collectively has grown over the last almost decade mm. without me actually having to do any proactive new business outreach is a testament to that. And it isn't just about business. It's about, I have a really, really, really um, strong network of friends, colleagues, associates that I know I could pick up the phone to at any time because we've kind of, we've created this thing for each other. And I definitely believe that you just put it out and, 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 and you get it's it It's community, isn't it? Yeah. What you're talking about is like our age of community. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Building yeah. that around you and then always knowing. That's the one thing that I probably learned from you and from what I've learned from you. And then that kind of growing community. I remember when I first, when we first, well, you know, when I was in the early stages of knowing you and I would be like, I don't know, I need someone who can, I could do with like chatting to somebody who knows how to do this job here, yeah? And I always used to be amazed because you'd be like, oh yeah, I know this guy, yeah? He's in LA, but let me just drop him like, do you know what I mean? It would be some different part of the world. And I was like, that's fucking like, so good that you've like got a community like that. Yeah. And then I slowly began to like build that myself and yeah. realize how empowering it is. And now like somebody will say to me, I need this. And I'm like, I know a guy, do you know what I mean? I know somebody that I could, it's good, man. It's powerful. I often, I often, uh, yeah, suffering a detriment. The only detriment is time. Yeah. But not energy. No. I actually, fe I feed, I feed off of um, this stuff as well. So it, mm. again, it isn't altruistic. I get stuff back from it. Um, but I think uh, I won't change. Like I, I, I would probably end up working more hours and not take that bit away because it's really, really important. It's really yeah, important. yeah. And you, and you just, you just benefit from it. You benefit from it. I, it's intangible, but you benefit from it. Yeah. Well, look what you did for me, and now look how I just fucking. I've been carrying you for about two years now. Haven't I? <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. Right. My, I'm gonna. My answer to the question. Um, What's one lesson in your job that, uh, that your job has taught Yours you? Yours is just take free shit from people that give free <laughs> stuff away, innit? Keep atting Fred Perry to yeah. see if they'll do collab with me. No, mine is, uh, and I've probably talked about this a bit before on here, um, but attempting to be liked by everyone will end with you being lost and almost completely alone in this world. That's the big thing that I've learned through my work and through growing an audience in the way that I have is that um, if you consistently try and make everybody like you and please everybody, you're gonna end up saying nothing to nothing at all. You're gonna end up standing for nothing at all. And you'll ultimately lead a life that's rooted in abandoning yourself to make sure that everybody else is okay. Wow, that's really powerful. I still struggle with that a yeah. little bit. I think you know that, right? Like, So I think this is probably, this three years of doing this has really, pushed me forward into not holding this persona, this professional persona, and actually being more true to who I am. But I still got work to do. I will write posts on LinkedIn that are sharp and edgy and pointy, and I won't post them because I'm worried about the impact. So I've still got work to do on that because I'm worried about probably 
not being liked uh, by everyone. Um, or not pleasing certain Or not pleasing, not pleasing or, or, people, or actually yeah. being the antithesis of what people expect me to be. Yeah. And that's like true in, in like the quote unquote healing game, the healing space that I'm in, you know. I used to have this persona that, you know, I should make sure that I don't swear. I should like make sure that I overpronounce my words, you know, make sure that um, all of my judginess that exists and I can be very judgy, that I make sure that I hide it all and I be this version of myself that is spiritual, you know, and, uh, and then I realized, but I ain't who I am. Like I am a bit sweary. My humor can be a little bit like, uh, I like humor that's a little bit near the knuckle. I'm like overly judgy. But I'm also fully aware of those things. Do you know what I mean? And I work, I know that I'm working my hardest to not act on my judgments and to recognize that so much of my judgment is uh, projection of my own stuff mm. and all of that and being much more comfortable in being myself. And by the way, I think that is what the healing journey is because I think most what most people need to heal from is chronic people pleasing is chronic self-organization, yeah? Is chronic make sure I don't show these versions of myself because then these people won't like me, you know? And to be liked is different. To be liked is to go, here's who I am, take me or leave me. And if you don't like it, then I'm okay with that and I'm comfortable with that. Or I can deal with it because I ain't comfortable with it, mm. you know? Because even like when I like, I see how that plays out, by the way, because on Instagram earlier, I put, I'm wearing all the rings, yeah? Did you see on my stories? I put yeah. over, two over the top with the rings, yeah? Yes or no, and let people vote. I'm fucking looking at everyone that said, yeah, ain't I? And I'm like, oh, I didn't think you'd say yeah. yeah. I didn't think you'd tell yeah, me. Yeah, and then you'd be top. like, well, look at the clothes you yeah. wear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Who are yeah. you to talk? You're just fucking jealous <laughs> that you can't wear loads of rings. But you see, like, yeah, so I know yeah. it's there, but that's, yeah. that's yeah. you know... That's self-understanding, self-actualization. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. Right, I'm going to move us on because we should have been where we're going uh, way, way sooner than we are. So, Hass, I'm going to start with... Um, I'm going to start with the second question. I'm going to avoid the first one, actually. Okay. Better be a good one, though. <laughs> Will, it's kind of feeds into some of the things that we talked about. Will being a nice person always win through? Uh, no. No. Short answer, no. No. And I think that that could sound contradictory to what I just said around give stuff away for free and being kind. Um, but there's, th th there is a saying that I don't think is culturally sensitive anymore, but it makes a point um, that um, is uh, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Mm-hmm forget about knives and guns and actually what the point behind it is don't come ill prepared and um i, f I think too often um you you if you misunderstand the environment in which you're operating and you just bring your niceness you're not going to get what you need and it doesn't mean be not nice or be horrible or be evil but you have to just understand that sometimes you've got to operate in a slightly different way yeah yeah. The reason I bring it up is in, in light of uh, the recent Labour, they're calling it Labour's ad campaign that attacks the Tories. I actually think that's kind of questionable um, in some ways anyway. They've ran these series of ads. One of them is a picture of Rishi Sunak and it says, do you think adults convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to pr prison? And then it says, Rishi Sunak, 
doesn't. And it's quite a big shift in the way that Labour have operated over the last 13 years. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe, <laughs> maybe saying that in and of itself shows why there's been a big shift because they haven't been in for 13 years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. What's your, what's your thoughts on it? I think they have to do it. Yeah. I think they have to do it. And um, they have actually been um, not really operating as, uh, you know, the opposition. And they've been quite gentle and quite nice and, and hoping that everyone watches Prime Minister's Question Times on Wednesday afternoon when everyone's at work, right? Yeah. So how do we know that there's a fight back going on? They're never being publicly challenged. So you have to kind of come at it um, in the same way. Now, you can be... You know, you can be, uh, you can d feel dismay at that approach and feel like almost you're uh, resorting to low level tactics. But if you kind of take the high ground and keep missing and kind of don't, you know, sh shift the paradigm and, and move yourself into power, then actually you're just perpetuating. So I'd rather deal with some shitty attack ads and a shifting government than being nice and being holier than thou and still having Tories for another four or five years. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, can yeah. deal with that. And I think there's a problem with being holier than thou anyway, right? It's like, you, like I, wa I want anybody that's leading anything to seek truth and call out truth, right? And be like, this is the, this is the reality and say things quite clearly. I want people to stand for something, yeah? And so, like even that ad that I read out, I mean, I don't even, I think if that's cutthroat, then like Labour, I would say they need to do even more, man, and really pull them apart. Listen, by the way, I think probably the reason that they don't, no, M, no uh, MP ever gets overly bullish, yeah, is because they're all sitting on stuff that if they start going too much for the juggler, then they'll just come back for the juggler and call on them anyway. Well, look, they, some, of, some, some Labour MPs have said this isn't very Labour, some quite senior people, this isn't very Labour, this isn't us, we shouldn't resort to these sorts of tactics. Others have come out strong and say, yeah, we stand behind it, we're going to do more, expect more. So this could just be the start. I can see where it goes though. And like if you see it, like attack ads in America, they're brutal. They're yeah. absolutely brutal and they get very personal and... Um, and I, so I do understand where it goes. So as long as we sort of keep it about voting records and how they operate as MPs and representatives, then I think it's fair game. And let's also remember that the Tory party have been doing this for years very successfully and that's what's put them in power. We need a change in government. We absolutely need a change in government. And so if that r requires operating in, in a similar way, so be it. And look, I think sometimes we we, we we live in a world now, particularly, you know, where power doesn't change unless something big happens. And this is another thing that I wanted to touch on, right? There's been um, a lot of protests going on now, yeah? To me, it feels like there's a protest going on every week. The latest one were junior doctors. They reckon nearly 200,000 operations were missed as a result uh of these protests how do you how do you feel about that what, like what's your opinion on 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 that do you think it's the right thing for these protesters to do um it's hard to kind of 
lump them all into one. But I think that's bit, that's part of the problem, right? When you see so many of them, you start to not pay attention to them, right? Yeah. So um, I think that is a problem because you get a bit of protest fatigue, which I think is what's kind of setting in. You almost gloss over some of the key issues. Now, obviously for those individuals, groups is really important. And it's, it is, it's the way you make people listen, right? If you, the fact that, you know, operations are being canceled, you have people's attention. Yeah. If you don't do that, then the government doesn't come to the table. Yeah. Right. So I understand we've talked a lot about our belief in in um, striking and, you know, and holding the government to account. And this is the way they do it. I think it's really interesting. If you look at junior doctors and you look at I think the average starting salary is around twenty nine thousand for a junior doctor. Yeah. Right. Now, some people might go, well, that's, you know, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. quite a lot of money compared to what I get. But I think there's also other things to think about, which is that is a there's a there's a lot that goes into that, right? But also, these are people that are tasked with saving lives, right? Yeah. And so you want them to be adequately rewarded for the input that they've done to get to that level and then continuing to operate at the right level. But the other thing that isn't spoken about is it's the unpaid overtime. So let's say a work, normal working week is 37 and a half, 40 yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctors are probably pulling 60, 70 hours a week. Yeah. So actually yeah. that number goes down significantly. Yeah. And then when you've got inflation going up, I can totally understand it. And it's also, by the way, I saw, I haven't pulled it up and I haven't got it with me, but I saw, uh, um, I think it was like a social media post or whatever that showed the starting salary of junior doctors in loads of different countries. Mm. And ours was like lowest by a, a good few thousand in mm. comparison to all these other countries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you see the protests um, by MPs for their latest pay rise? Oh, I didn't see that M MPs had protested. No, they didn't protest. That's uh, why you didn't see it. But they got a fucking pay rise. Yes. Yeah. Alongside inflation. Yeah. Right? And that's what really annoys me. Yeah. yeah. That went right under the radar. It yeah. was not talked about too much on the news. Yeah. 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 It like none of that was uh, shown. I saw another. Uh, I saw another stat that said uh, if you take the money spent on test and trace during COVID, uh, you could give the junior uh, doctors a pay rise every year for the next fifty years by about, and, and you could give them five percent every year. And that's not a stab at COVID, but we must remember that test and trace was something that was fucking handed out to the Tories mates. Yeah. And this is like the big, big problem that we've got is, and this is why protests have to happen. We've talked about this in the past, but anything of any value to the average person on the street yeah. as always has to come through protest. When you look at basic rights for women when they started with the suffragettes, it came from what was uh, people doing things they fucking shouldn't have been doing at the time and that everybody would have said this is disgusting, yeah? But it happened and thank God it happened, right? Mm -hmm. My concern and what you said is, is right, is this protest fatigue that's coming in, right? Nobody, for some reason, well, I, you know, for whatever reason it is, people don't go, fucking hell, man, the Tories have been in for 13 years and there's a protest every week. People go, what's wrong with people? Why is everybody protesting so much? And that's a problem. Yeah. Did you, uh, I know you did because I spoke to you about it, but the protests that happened at the Grand National. Yeah. Now this is why I think protests matter and they're important, yeah? Do you watch the Grand National? Yeah. Ever betted on it? Yeah. Yeah, so have I. I yeah. used to get the kids to bet on it and all yeah. that sort of stuff. 
my one of my closest friends was a jockey. I loved to gamble and stuff like that when I was a kid. I was on. I was listening to Talk Sport the day before the Grand National, and the guy who was running the protests was on there, very calm. Yeah, and they were hammering him on Talk Sport. Yeah, and he stayed calm. He said that. Uh, I think it was one horse that dies every two days in horse riding. Really? One horse dies every two days in horse riding. Uh, in racing or just? In horse racing, yeah. Right. Particular, yeah, one every two days. One horse dies every two days. He was like, that's not that. And then they were like, yeah, but the people that raise these horses and look after them, they love them. And he said, yeah, they love them. And they, they're treated like royalty in a lot of cases until they're not. And I wouldn't send my child out, yeah. Like love my child and treat him like royalty, but send them out to race every weekend where they might die. Yeah. And I heard this guy and he they were causing enough alarm that he had got on talk sport, yeah? A radio that I happen to listen to all the time. And he changed my mind and I was like, fuck man, I can't do the Grand National anymore. Mm. Can't in fact I will in fact I would probably back people saying it needs to stop. Mm. Yeah. Cause and he all he kept saying was, We love animals, we're supposed to be an animal loving country. Yeah, and he was like, and yet we allow this to happen. It's really interesting because a lot of the a lot of the um, the talk that was coming from the racing circles was just how frustrating and how they were putting the, the like the health of the horses on the protesters because the horses were having to one wait horse and get died at the, yeah. one of the horse died at the, the jump yeah. and they're saying it was because, because the protesters that, yeah. had unsettled the horse. Yeah. Um, but I think that same guy was like, but let's not forget this is about people getting on a horse racing and betting and making money for the owners yeah. that like yeah, and yeah. and for other people to make money that that's what this is about yeah, yeah this yeah. isn't about war horses going in and saving lives and giving their lives over to kind of save humans this is basically horse racing so i can understand where that comes from i thought it was quite interesting that the media rounded on them as being a bit of a nuisance because who owns who owns newspapers and this who owns is the media the, they're the people that own own racehorses and, it, and this is the problem that we've got yeah is how much society is now driven by that common narrative and they're all sat at the same table they're all sat at the same table we talked about it on a previous podcast with gary the whole thing with gary lineker i don't think we went into it in depth maybe we didn't talk about it in the podcast and talked about it separately but the chairman of the bbc is a tory donor man mm. And so, like, you know, they've BBC cut a certain episode of David Attenborough talking about climate change because they were worried about what, how much it would upset the right. Yeah. So, like, I, I think one of the things that I'm really passionate about what we do with this podcast is trying to help people that do listen to this to understand this ain't a big conspiracy theory. Yeah, that it's all like, like, that's not what it is, yeah? What is definite a fact is that People in power at the very top are all sat at the same table, pulling the strings. And that's why protest matters, yeah? That's as annoying as it sometimes might be, yeah, in anything. That's why it matters, you know? The horse racing is a prime example where I was able to change my opinion on something. Why? Because they fucking protested at the Grand National, so Talk Sport got them on the radio. Let me ask you one question, and we probably won't be able to answer it here, so it, it may be when we come back for this. But can... Too much protest ultimately minimize the impact of the protests. So, for example, 
you know, them going into a snooker hall and covering a snooker table with orange powder, over time, does, do, do, does society and the infrastructure start to prepare for it and almost shut it down before it even has its impact? I don't know, man. It's a, it's a difficult question, yeah, isn't it? Can't because, answer it. Because like, yeah. if the answer is yes, too much protest in the end, then, then those in power are rubbing their hands together. Yeah. Because they just think, just sit it out. Sit it out. People will get too annoyed with well, it. What I think it potentially paves the way for is is a more of a general uprising, right? Where people just feel like, okay, th there's nothing we that like. There's everything we've tried doesn't work, and yeah. that's and so that's why you had sort of uprisings in certain parts of the world where they were um, protesting against oppressive regimes. And that's what drives change when people suddenly have had enough. And we've always been quite controlled, kettlebelled, if you like, yeah. at a macro level. And I think that's coming. I think it's got to be coming. Like when people are living in poverty, when the, you know, their rights are being taken, when their um, uh, abundance is limited, when their opportunities are limited, when they're pointing people and communities at each other rather than looking at where it should happen, that's when that's what stokes the fire. I'm really surprised that we haven't had a major riots like we had, um, you know. Back, so am I, man. Right. I think. Well, let's see. The next election's going to be crazy, man. When is it? It's next year, isn't it? Is it? It's going to be crazy, man. There's some shit's going to go down when that happens. But let's see, mate. Enjoyed this today. Uh, if you're listening, come and join us on uh, Instagram, 115 Miles Pod, and make sure that you leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. Enjoyed it. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks again for listening to 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kai.